I want to make a public profession of faith this morning. I want to make a public profession of faith. If God didn't want Carol healed, then he wouldn't have healed her. He did. And it says right here, Satan, in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes, we and she is healed. And back here, Satan, in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes, by his wounds, you were healed, we were healed, were and are healed today. And nothing is going to stand in the way of the destiny that God gave Carol and I. And, and, and God, that's your job to see to it that we make it to our destiny. What you created us to do in the name of Jesus. Now we've taken authority over Satan. And we've commanded him to go in the name of Jesus. But the little devil has a little attitude sometimes. And as he's going, and he's going, he leaves like that. And yesterday he put Carol in the hospital because of manifestations that are a lie. And we're not believing his report. And she is healed by the blood of the Lamb. And I don't, and, and I don't have an ounce of, of fear on me. Not an ounce. Neither does she. We talked last night. We laughed about it. He's a liar and a thief. But he likes to do that. You know, you've experienced that. You kick him out, but he likes to ring your bell one more time on his way out. A little temper tantrum. The little devil. And I'm not going to give him any glory by telling you what the manifestations are. And she's in good hands. I thank God she's there, where God has surrounded her with competence. So she's fine. He's such a loser. She's on the same floor as her sister, who died three weeks ago, just down the hall. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of Satan. That's our adversary. I mean, it's, it's not a small thing. That's, what we're, that's why you guys are so awesome. Because you're letting people live in victory like this. I, could, I couldn't have this today. I couldn't have this victory. If it wasn't for my pastor. This pastor. His bride. The strength. The things I've learned and gleaned from them, you think I've, it's just been a one-way street? 
No. And every single one of the ones out here that are sitting here, I've gleaned from. God give us the opportunity. You know, we started as an acquaintance. We shook hands. Hi, how are you, sir? Good to have you here. And then, and then we became partners. God kind of divinely yoked us together in ministry to build his kingdom work. And then we became friends. And you've imparted things into me. I never, I ne I never dreamed I would learn how I could grow from you. So I could stand strong in a time like this. I'm not weeping because I'm in fear. I'm weeping for gratitude that Christ connected me with people like you. And that's what we say all the time. We go all over the world. We say, can you believe how blessed we are to meet people all over the world that, that just treat us with respect and want to love on us like they do? Doesn't get any better than this. Well, let me, uh, <laughs> let me share a story with you. Um, a number of you that are sitting right here have said you should tell more stories. Uh, we love those stories, and those stay with us. So maybe this st will stay with you, because one of the most critical things is what we had up here, honesty. How, how can you get in, uh, take the pulse if you don't have honest people? If, we don't, if, we can't, if I can't be honest with somebody that I'm discipling, how, I mean, what are we going to accomplish? Not much. So honesty is so important. And we've been talking about facilitation, and I just I feel led to, to just take a few minutes and share this story with you about uh, facilitating honesty. It's called the seed. So I'll drop a little seed in there, and with this story, hopefully you will remember it and remember the value and the importance of you being honest and requiring others to be honest. The seed. A successful businessman was growing old and knew it was time to choose a successor to take over the business. Instead of choosing one of his directors or his children, he decided to do something different. He called all the young executives in the company together. He said, it's time for me to step down and choose the next CEO. I have to decide to choose one of you. The young executives were shocked, but the boss continued, I am going to give each one of you a seed today one very special seed. I want you to plant the seed, water it, and come back here one year from now. One year from today with what you have grown from the seed that I give you today. I will then judge the plants that you bring, and the one I choose will be the next CEO. <coughs> one man named Jim <coughs> was there that day. One man named Jim was there that day, and he, like the others, received a seed. He went home and excitedly told his wife the story. She helped him get a pot, soil, compost, and he planted the seed. Every day he would water it and watch to see if it had grown. After about three weeks, some of the other executives began to talk about their seeds and the plants that were beginning to grow. Jim kept checking his seed, but nothing ever grew. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks went by, still nothing. By now, others were talking about their plants, but Jim didn't have a plant. He, he felt like a failure. Six months went by, still nothing in Jim's pot. He just knew he had killed his seed. Everyone else had trees, tall plants, but he had nothing. Jim didn't say anything to his colleagues, however. He just kept watering and fertilizing the soil. He so, he wanted, to, he so wanted to see the seed grow. 
A year finally went by and all the young executives of the company brought their plants to the CEO for inspection. Jim told his wife that he wasn't going to take an empty pot, but she asked him to be honest about what happened. Jim felt sick to his stomach. It was going to be the most embarrassing moment of his life, but he knew his wife was right. He took his empty pot to the boardroom. When Jim arrived, he was amazed at the variety of plants grown by all the other executives. They were beautiful in all shapes and sizes, and Jim put his empty pot on the floor. Many of his colleagues laughed, and they felt sorry for him. When the CEO arrived, he surveyed the room and greeted his young executives. Jim just tried to kind of hide in the back. My, what great plants, trees, and flowers you've grown, said the CEO. Today, one of you will be appointed the next CEO. All of a sudden, the CEO spotted Jim in the back of the room with his empty pot. He ordered the financial director to bring him to the front. Jim was terrified. He thought, the CEO knows I'm a failure. Maybe he will have fired me. Or maybe he will have me fired, excuse me. When Jim got to the front, the CEO asked him what had happened to his seed, and Jim told them the story. The CEO asked everyone to sit down except Jim. He looked at Jim, and then he announced to the young executives, Behold, your next chief executive officer. His name is Jim. Jim couldn't believe it. Jim couldn't even grow his seed. How could he be the new CEO? That's what everybody was saying, the others asked. Then the CEO said, one year ago today, I gave everyone in this room a seed. I told you to take the seed and plant it and water it and bring it back to me today. But I gave you all boiled seeds. They were dead. It was not possible for any of them to grow. All of you except Jim have brought me trees and plants and flowers. When you found that seed would not grow, you substituted another seed for the one I gave you. Jim was the only one with the courage and the honesty to big, bring me a pot with my seed in it. Therefore, he's the one who will be the new CEO. I'll stick with you. Just to pick up on what we did last night before we closed, um, I called it the great crossover. And this is a huge part of building a succession plan, is building generalists. And I'm just picking up on a few things that I'm kind of consolidating on a few things I've told you. Building generalists, a key part of a succession plan, replicating yourself into others and stretching others and, and giving people an opportunity to grow in areas where they don't necessarily want to grow or haven't had the experience to grow in. Uh, but we, I call it the great crossover, helping them make the transition across the Jordan. And uh, just maybe visually, since we learned how people learn, you learn a lot by what you see. 
And so I just want to illustrate what I call the great crossover here. So here we have the, here's the strategist, or I'm the, the, the specialist, excuse me. Here's the specialist, somebody who is very good, very experienced in one particular area, kind of a silo, a silo, if you will. And here's the Jordan, or the crossover point. This is where the fear is, here, of crossing over into the land of giants. Here's the fear. And our responsibility is to help them cross over, like I illustrated last night, to their destiny. Here's their destiny, down here. I know I said this last night, but maybe this visual will stick. Many of us are more inclined to be visual learners. But taking a specialist, now when, you know, if we back up just for a minute, obviously people, when they first come to serve God in your ministry, they want to serve in an area where, and you would want them to serve in an area of their gifting, right? Where they have their, where their talent is. And generally, and the second criteria would be what they want to do. So we give them a choice. So we say, would you like to be here or there? And that's nice if you can afford to do that. But, and generally, their gifting or talent matches up with their desire. Generally, that's the case more often than not. I mean, it's just common sense. Okay, but then there's the third component that you must and they must understand, and that is God has needs. So they may... We may have plenty of people where they're talented and gifted and like, would like to be, but we have needs over here and over there, and that box is empty, and nobody's on this team, and we don't have anybody on this team, and so we need them there too. And that's a crossover point to get somebody to cross over from where, the, no, I just want to be here, or this is where I'm gifted, and I only do this for Christ. So, but you have needs, so you have to consider that, and that's a crossover opportunity, we tell them, it's not a life sentence. Would you just go there for six months, please, and help us? We need somebody in there. What? You don't have to have any specific knowledge about that area. We just need wisdom, counsel, understanding, and knowledge from you. We need to know what you see and think and feel about that area. We'll take anything we can get from you. Would you please get on the team and help us build that area of the ministry? Okay, so I wanted them, but then we're taking, so here we're taking specialists to become generalists, and I just want to make a couple of points here, and I, I won't write them all, but you can write them quickly, and I'll say them slow enough for you to catch them, but, you know, the first, I explained the fear last night, the giants of, uh, I'll have to learn something new over here on the other side. I'll have to make new relationships, build new teams. I'm going to embarrass myself because I'm going to make some mistakes over there. Everybody does when they learn new things. We make mistakes. And so, but it, I, it, it's more comfortable over here. Please leave me alone. And we need, but we need people over here helping us lead multiple areas of ministry down through the ministry. But they, the crossover... They cross over into new and more valuable learnings. New and more valuable, more learnings. And 
more valuable to your ministry and more valuable to God and more valuable in helping them reach their destiny. They gain experience that they have not yet acquired. So they become more skillful and artful at being a leader. Gain, so they gain plus learn. I mean, these are all interrelated, but plus experience, skills, art forms. Exposure to various or varieties of resistance. Exposure to a variety of resistance. And that's another reason they know there's going to be more resistance over there. Here I've got, you know, everything kind of worked out, figured out. It's safe. Over here, oh boy, we're going to have to fight more battles. We're going to have to help people do things they don't, they're digging their heels in. They don't want to change. Exposure to resistance. That's what leadership is. Refining our ability and skill sets to overcome, not abuse, overcome resistance, though. And then, then the next, refinement of, a, and I've kind of hit it already here, but refinement of their performance. And we're going to whole new levels here. Refinements to take them at, to higher and higher levels. And then they become ultimately the most, a most valuable player an MVP for God. But you don't get there, you don't get to your destiny by staying on this side of the Jordan. So our job as disciples of men is to help people make those kind of crossovers like we talked, and I thought if I did it visually, it might, it might etch it deeper into your spirit. So we talked yesterday about extreme discipleship. We said that Jesus was the masterful extreme discipler. Uh, he, in three years, it's going on 2,000 plus years later. So he obviously knew what he was doing, knew how to do it. And I just want to remind us, though, that uh, to be an extreme discipler uh, to be effective in helping people cross over and so forth, it, and to, and to con continue to refine and perfect ourselves as disciples, it takes continual practice. You're not the expert, like I said last night, day one. But it, it, so it just takes continual refinement. We just keep getting better and better. As long as you're willing to continue to learn, as long as you're willing to continue to apply yourself. And it takes deliberate practice. So we're on the job practice here. That's what we're doing. Don't, you, you're not a perfect leader here. So it takes deliberate practice. In other words, the extreme guys in sports like Sean White on that uh, uh, snowboard, you know, that, he, he doesn't just show up. The first violinist at Carnegie Hall didn't get there by playing Mary Had a Little Lamb over and over again. You've got you to gotta have, you got, you've got to have more challenges. That's how you grow. So, so the first violinist at Carnegie Hall plays more and more difficult pieces to continue to refine and perfect their performance. 
So that's why discipleship, stretching people, is not abuse. It's not trying to, we're not trying to injure people. We're trying to help them because the more we stretch them, the more we put them in difficult assignments, the more they're going to become more valuable, a more valuable player for God, right? That's, but that's an that's a understanding that we all have to understand. So people, so people see that that's a form of love to help them reach their destiny, to stretch them, to help them become more valuable to God. Practice that is repetitive and effortful, combined with real-time, constructive, and specific feedback, and a willingness to take corrective actions. That's what's needed in a culture, in a discipleship culture. Practice that's repetitive and effortful. Effortful. It requires a lot of effort. We don't get stronger with just a one-pound thing here. It combined with real-time constructive and specific feedback, feedback, discipleship, and a willingness, of course, a humble, teachable spirit to receive corrective actions. Easy? No. Doable? Yes. Easy? No. Doable? Yes. Deliberate practice makes responses automatic and instinctive. You, in anything you do. Deliberate practice makes responses automatic and instinctive. So we just keep refining. I know this is common sense. You know this. But we're not doing it. It's just another example of what we know. The, the, the gap here in the learning and what we do. And what we teach and exhibit by our behavior. So I, that's why I'm, I'm hitting this so hard, because ministries don't get it. Discipleship. <clears throat> Simply, that's the only way that skills in artful discipleship are acquired. That's the only way. And once again, I said this yesterday, a leader is not a great leader if he does not provide great leaders for the future. One of the active actions that facilitate, we're still talking about facilitation ship. Facilitation ship, or making a facilitation shift in the, the level and the number and the competence of people that can facilitate. Here is the master facilitator sitting here at the A-team table. But then we need B-team facilitators, five of them now facilitating their team and then they get their teams and then we have 25 facilitation teams down here facilitation leaders of the teams down here please get the vision so but it one of the active to be actively engaged to be a in relationship and partnership with your team facilitators requires active listening and it's, remember, we ask questions. Why do we ask questions? So that we can listen. We ask questions so that we can listen. Active listening means we are actively engaged with what the person is communicating. That's what it means to be active listening. <clears throat> A pastor who's here shared this with me not too long ago. He said there was a guy that just talked incessantly about himself. 
He, didn't, he wasn't an active listener. He just talked and talked and talked about himself, on and on and on about himself. And, and he was doing this with an individual and just going on and on, talking about himself. And then finally, though, he stopped. And he said, okay, now <laughs> that's enough talking about me. Now you talk about me. <laughs> Since body language... Since body language is over 50% of communication, and it is, since it is, then, and whose body language? The leader's body language? And the, and the body language that the disciple or men is evaluating when they're talking. That's why emails don't work, because we... We can't see the body language. There is no communication through body language it, because it's over 50% of communication. So that's why we meet eyeball to eyeball. Eyeball to eyeball here. You can have email for agendas, minutes, research reports, progress report. That's fine. But not to build a ministry. Since body language is over 50% of communication, theirs and yours, then we are learning, we must learn how to actively listen to not just what they say, but what it looks like they're saying. And I'll explain that in a second. But we can't be multitasking here, you know, when they're talking. You know, and uh, we're <laughs> I've seen this in meetings. People are texting while they're trying to build God's kingdom work. You know, or how about somebody here is sharing something, what they see and think and feel, and you're... Okay. I've seen, I've been in meetings where somebody is talking, not, this is a little extreme, but it makes the point. Somebody's talking about their grandmother dying and this guy's smiling, you know, bobbing his head. That's nice, you know, he's not... You ever done, almost done that because you weren't listening? Yeah, you get, let's get honest. <laughs> Actively listening so as to disciple. Okay, so what are some of the active actions? Okay, so let's just, let's take the, let's take it over. This team will go over here. And what, are, what would be some of the active actions? I'm helping you potential facilitators or you new facilitators or some of you pastors who are learning the art of facilitation. So let's just go through a few things on the list here. Conveying care. That's, that's, that's part of active communication here. What are, what are the active actions? One is active listening. I just mentioned that. But active actions. Conveying care. So we express appreciation to our team. We, we more often than not, express appreciation, even though we're, we're also correcting. But we're doing that here. We're appreciating the fact that, uh, that you know, everybody's report this time was on time. Everybody got, we're making progress. Wow, we had the executive summary here, and everybody reported in, and everybody was reporting progress. We had no disasters, or we did have some, but you were already handling them. So we're 
I'm going to go through this quickly, but we're conveying care, appreciation, care. We're caring for that. Or there's a, they're going through something. This is a personal relationship. So if we're a mentor, we care about them personally, and we express that here. We're genuinely in, 